with you. Let us pray. O oh God, whose blessed Son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life, grant that, having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure. That when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated as we hear God speak to us through his word. The lesson is a reading from Colossians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17, and may be found on page 984 in your pew Bible. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In this, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or do, are in deed, 
do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the psalm. The following psalm will be read responsively in whole verses. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Would you please pray with me and also for me this morning? Well, good morning, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this opportunity to proclaim the truth in it. I ask that you'd help me as I preach. I pray that you would speak identity over each one of us today, that we might put on the new virtues. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our text this morning is the Colossians one. I'm going to preach from that text, so if you want to keep a Bible open there, please do so. Well, this is the last sermon in the eight-week sermon series that we've been in. And as I put that series together and considered what to include in it, the question I was asking was, why would someone want to be a Christian? Why would someone choose to be a disciple of Jesus? What benefit is there in following Christ? And that led us to that parable about the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure that's hidden in a field. And when it's uncovered, when the person finds it, he covers it back up and he goes and sells all that he has and comes and buys that field. What we find in the gospel are incredible promises that are so great, they're worth giving everything for. So we've looked at a number of different promises over the last seven weeks. And today, the promise I wanna look at is the concept of assurance. 
and also closely related the concept of hope, the virtue of hope. Assurance and hope are what we're considering this morning. I believe these are parts of the gospel, gifts of the gospel for those who believe in Jesus, and they are worth going and pursuing and giving everything you have to get. Assurance is being sure of your status before God. And hope is what you expect in the future, what you're looking forward to. The gospel, the good news, the message of the scripture tells us who we are and what's coming. We can be assured of who we are in Christ and what the future holds for us. Even if we don't have all of the picture yet, we know the future holds a good thing for us. And I want to begin with my application in mind. Here, this, is, this is where I'm going to end, but I'm going to tell you this up front. The application is this. Let the word of Christ dwell in your hearts richly. That's verse 16 of Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. I want to encourage you to have God's word dwelling in you because it will speak identity over you and you will begin to experience assurance and hope. Now, I'd like you to consider where you're looking. Are your sights set high on things above, or are they, has, has, your, has your sight fallen down? My wife bought this thing for our car that sticks into the CD player, and it's supposed to hold an iPhone so, or a smartphone so you can navigate, but it's low quality, and if you hit a bump, the thing just falls down like this, and we keep putting it up, and it keeps falling down. And our sight is kind of like that. We look up and we get our sights set on the things of God and then we hit a bump and we look back down. And our, our sight goes down. And if you look down, you live down. Any new driver or a driver's ed teacher will tell you this, where you look is where you go. If you're looking down, you're living down. And if you look up, you begin to live up. I want to, this morning, give us a metaphor for this idea. And my wife, who's good to tell me when it's been too long since I've used a video this week, said, you need to put another video in your sermon. We're ready for another one. What's good about the video I'm about to show is that it doesn't need much setup. It doesn't matter if you've seen the movie. You don't even need to know what's going on in the movie. That's some really, really impressive theme music. The, the movie, it's, it's the movie Moneyball, which is about baseball, but this particular scene is given in the movie as a metaphor for something else. So you don't need to know anything about the movie because we're going to use it as a metaphor for the idea of looking up as opposed to looking down. So go ahead and play that movie. It's a minute, it's 88 seconds. Ilya Oaks and our 240 pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who as you know, scared to run to second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting, because Jeremy's gonna do what he never does. He's gonna go for it. He's gonna round first, and he's gonna go for it. Okay? This is all of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. <laughs> oh, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He hit a home run and didn't even realize it. 
All right, we'll stop right there. The two scenes I want you to pick up and remember in your mind are one of him lying in the dirt, crawling back to first base, and the other is coming into home, high-fiving and being welcomed and celebrated. If he had lifted his eyes, he would have seen the ball go over the fence, but he, he was just looking down, and all he thought was, if I could just get to second base. He had set his sights so low and then he couldn't even make it to second base, he ends up crawling around in the dirt. And the metaphor here, of course, breaks down like all metaphors do because we don't hit the ball over the fence. In my example, Christ hits it over the fence and we get the credit and we get to run around the bases. I don't know in baseball what happens if you don't run around the bases if it still counts as a home run, but that doesn't matter. Christ does the work and we get the benefit. But if you're looking down, you don't see what has happened. It's a powerful image for us. Instead of crawling in the dirt, we can be celebrated as being conquerors, victorious, of having already won. As soon as the ball goes over the fence, it's a home run. Then he just easily jogs around the base. The second baseman throws his glove down and gives him a high five as well from the other team. You can't get out once the ball's gone over the fence. And some of us in this life keep our eyes down and we get overrun by the problems and the challenges, and we're like crawling around in the dirt hoping to just be safe on first base when the score's already been made. Now, the passage is Colossians 3 today. Keeping in mind crawling or being celebrated, I want you to look at this passage and see something. This passage is one of those giants of the scripture. It fits in there with Romans chapter 8, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It fits in there with the throne room of Revelation 4 and 5. Colossians 3 is cosmic in scope. It's huge. And it speaks about what Christ has done for us and then what comes as a result of that. Now, in the, in the city where Paul was writing to the Colossians, that's in modern-day Turkey, there was a problem. There was a weird, bad religion spirituality creeping into the church there. They, I don't know who these teachers were, and scholars aren't quite sure what even the, the core content of their religion was, but what Paul's saying in Colossians gives us a little bit of a clue. They were worshiping angels. They were practicing very strict ascetic disciplines with fasting and special diets and all sorts of stuff. They were caught up in a kind of a legalistic approach. Don't touch this. Don't taste that. You know, remember the three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil. They had kind of that going on in that city. And Paul writes to correct that, but also to encourage them to live in a certain way. And he gives some commands. He says, put to death what is earthly in you, and then put on, as it were, a different set of clothing. Put on a different character. And here's something that's so important to understand about the, the Bible, both Old and New Testament, about the preaching in this church, and I would say in any faithful church, that growth into maturity, into Christ-likeness, always comes after the grace of salvation. Grace comes first, and then growth. We're not expected to grow into something to then become worthy of the gift. The ball's hit over the fence, before you have to run around the bases. 
Grace comes first. That's God's undeserved gift. That's him saving you. And what is so cosmic in scope about Colossians 3 is Paul says, you're already hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is already done. He speaks about it in past tense. You're already saved if you're a Christian. Your life is already, your citizenship is already in the kingdom of heaven. That's about setting your sights up. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He's telling you to look up, not down. Set your sights on big things. When we read what he says in Colossians here, God's spirit works on us and we begin to experience the assurance. It says it here in black and white. It's in God's word. Therefore, I know it's true. I can trust it. I'm already alive in Christ. I'm already saved. My status is in heaven with him. And when Christ, who is my life, appears, I also will appear with him in glory. That's about hope of what's going to happen. So this passage speaks to us of Christ's work, but also our participation in it. You know, in the liturgy of the table, we say the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And surely that is his work. He died on the cross, conquered death, and rose, ascended to heaven, and he is coming back. And he came quietly the first time, and he's coming back in great glory the second time. How many of you saw the sunrise this morning? It was unbelievably beautiful, and I think it pales in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed. That's just a, a, a tiny little foretaste of what's coming. I almost crashed my bicycle on the way to work. I was riding down the path, and I was looking at this big orange sunrise coming up over the island. It was amazing. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's a big promise. The thing about this passage is, he says, if you've been raised with Christ, and it sounds like, well, have I? Have I not? If you are a Christian, you have been raised with Christ. And Paul tells us that in chapter two, before we get to chapter three. So it's a rhetorical if. I think, I memorized it a long time ago. I think in the NIV it says, since. They supply the word since you've been raised with Christ, so you don't miss the connection. But if you jumped back over to chapter two and looked at what it says, Paul says, having been buried with him in baptism. So you died with Christ. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And the same is true of you. You died with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. And then it goes on and says, God made us alive together with him. The new life that we have is life in Christ. So God has allowed us to share in those three things. His death, our baptism is a death of sorts, and then his resurrection and our coming to new life in Christ, being born again, as he says in John 3, is about that coming alive with him. And then the hope of when he appears, we also who are in him will appear in glory and get to share in his glory. <clears throat> In verse three, he says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, here's where Christians struggle. <clears throat> and this is why our sights, our, our sights keep falling down instead of up. The hidden aspect of our life means that we only see bits and pieces of it. There's more to it in reality than it, we can perceive at this time. So if you could see <clears throat> the glory that will be revealed in one another, C.S. Lewis says, you would be tempted to worship another person. That glory is so big. That's part of the hidden life that we have. But we don't quite see it. It's partially hidden and partially experienced now. So 
you've heard of the sinner's prayer. When a person wants to become a Christian, they acknowledge they're a sinner, they pray for forgiveness and accept that Christ died for their sins, and then they become born again or regenerate or made alive in Christ. But sometimes that prayer isn't accompanied by any signs or wonders. I don't know if you've prayed that prayer, but if you have, you know, did the heavens open and a big glorious sky appear? It's possible, but unlikely. Did you feel swept off your feet by the Holy Spirit of God? Sometimes that happens, but not always. I know many people who, when they prayed and asked Christ into their heart, they opened their eyes, they like looked around to see, it and, and it kind of felt the same. And it took a little while to catch up with the new life. But what the promise and the assurance of Scripture is, it doesn't matter if you felt it or not, your status changed forever in heaven. All of heaven rejoiced over one sinner who's come in. And if you've never prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you to pray it now. You don't even have to wait till I'm done preaching. You can simply say, I'm a sinner. Jesus, you died on the cross for my sins, and I accept it. Come. I believe in you. Come and help me walk in your ways. And you will be born again like that. Now, what happens is your status as a, as a son or a daughter of the king changes. You now become a son or daughter of the king of the universe. Your citizenship is now in heaven. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And eventually, you will get to see the full status of that, the full stature of it, even though right now part of it's hidden. That's the glory of this passage. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That right there is about the assurance. That's what he has done. He has done that for you. And therefore, now comes the growth into Christ-likeness. So Paul talks about taking off and putting on. And we can, we can do this hard work of character transformation because we know we're already secure. We already have the assurance of salvation. We're good with God. All is well. We're forgiven. We're accepted. We're loved. In fact, down a little further in verse 12, when he says to put on this other character, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Again, it's speaking identity. You are holy. Christians are holy, meaning they're set aside. They've been called out of one life into a new life. And you are loved. You are the beloved of God. You are holy and he loves you. Therefore, put on these things. You don't put them on so that he will love you. You put them on because he does love you and has saved you. Now, Paul gives two really powerful passages here. <clears throat> one is a passage of the description of what is earthly, the earthly life, the fallen nature. And it's a pretty hard-hitting list. And if you came to faith as an adult and had enough time to really get into all these areas, you look at that and you go, yeah, that, that describes what I was like beforehand. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, which is idolatry, lying, anger, wrath, slander, obscene talk, malice. I mean, this list, you look at it and you go, oh, that is such a big list. It's so heavy. Lord, have mercy. But then the other list talks about being compassionate, kind, humble, meek, having patience, bearing with one another. And he says, over all these, put on love, which binds them all together. That's what he is asking us to do because we are being prepared for that future, that glory with him. 
He's saying, get dressed for the occasion. Stop crawling around in the dirt, stand up, and come in and be celebrated. This is who you are. Even if it's not worked out fully yet, this is who you are in Christ, and he's making you into this. This assurance of what God is doing helps us to avoid some of the pitfalls of what I would say is Christian immaturity. Some of the things that happen when a person first becomes a Christian but hasn't understood the assurance that we have, they haven't understood fully what God has done for us, they will fall into things like a constant search for the next big thing. I remember being in this church in Sheffield, England, where I did a three-month sabbatical, and the, uh, the church was full of energy and excitement, and people were just really pumped up about things, and they were very immature, though. And there was some kind of a thing going on in Toronto. And I remember about half of the staff and a number of, this was in 2000, and a number of parishioners bought tickets and flew to Toronto to go for the, what they called the Toronto Blessing. I don't know, God had done something unique in a church there, and they were jumping across the Atlantic Ocean to go be part of this. And they were just looking for the next new thing, whatever seemed to be happening. They were chasing it all over the place. And I wanted to say, you don't need to do that. You're already, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You don't have to go chasing around for it. It's right here. You have it already. Your salvation is secure. You are sure in him. <clears throat> we, if we're immature, chase after spiritual novelties or fad books. Have you read some of the books that, that had a fad nature to them? Do you remember the book, The Prayer of Jabez? Again, about 15 years ago, this book came out. And basically, it was a very small prayer from the Old Testament, and you were admonished to pray it every day for 30 days, and God would expand your territory and bless you immensely. <clears throat> and it sold 9 million copies. And it's one prayer yanked out of its context, and it was used about prosperity. It didn't even talk about Christ, the prayer of Jabez. These are the kind of fads that we chase after if we're not grounded in the assurance of salvation. Not only that, but there's anxiety over our status. Am I saved? Am I not saved? I can remember as a kid not being sure about that in the church. Even after I'd become a Christian, I was, I was not sure, and there was anxiety about it. If I had filled my heart with this passage and understood what has already happened in the past tense, then I wouldn't have to worry about that. I could get on with the work of putting on the clothes for that day when I will be in his kingdom but sometimes we're anxious over our status. Am I really saved? Am I not saved? And that's a preoccupation with self that's not necessary. Or pride in achievements. You know, you get through, man, I went to church every Sunday for three months straight, I didn't miss one. You start feeling puffed up and have pride in that. And what this passage says is, it's all, the work's already done. He hit the ball over the fence. Just go around the bases. It's not about you. The assurance of salvation, the hope of glory, these things help us move from immaturity to maturity. Hope, though, inspires preparation. This idea that we will appear with him in glory and the, the command to put on then these certain characters is about getting dressed for the occasion. Think for a minute of the parable of the prodigal son. The younger son goes off, squanders the father's um, inheritance, comes back with a plan to say, I know what I'll say. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Just accept me so that I can work as one of your hired hands. And the father, when he sees the son coming back, couldn't possibly do that. I mean, could you imagine the scandal of that? 
if the son of the, the owner of the whole thing is working as one of the hired hands, that's not his identity. He's not a slave, he's a son. And so as soon as he gets back, what the father does is he says, quick, quick, kill the fattened calf, bring a robe, put the clothes on him, put the ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, because his identity is a son. Yes, a lost son who's coming back broken and sad and having sinned, but he's still a son, that's his identity. And so put on the clothes of a son, you are royalty. That's what that parable teaches us. Dress the part, run the bases upright. Don't crawl in the dirt and grab onto first base. Receive the assurance of salvation and the hope of glory. These things are coming. Now again, the application I started with. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. I wonder where your sights are. Do you have a daily quiet time? This is something that Christians need to do. I was taught at a pretty early age in my faith to do this, to take the word of God and read it every day. In particular, pay attention to these parts that speak about who I am and what Christ has done for me and who he is. Who is God, what has he done, and therefore, what, who am I? This will help you have the gift which is assurance. It will help you have the virtue of hope so you can look ahead, and no matter what the circumstances are, you know that you're only seeing part of the picture because the rest is hidden with Christ in God. It will help you in this life. It's a kind of treasure buried in a field. It's worth giving everything to have this. It's so much better than we realize. And what happens is, as we daily go to God's Word and read this, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and gives us faith. We begin to be more sure We begin to experience a hope for what's coming. The best is yet to come. So as we look up, our lives start to live up. But if we look down, we live down. I wanna encourage you to let the word of Christ dwell richly within you. Understand these big passages, memorize them, meditate on them. I wanna close by praying a, a collect, which is a pretty ancient prayer from the prayer book that will be familiar to many of you but it's about the word of God and asking God to help us. Would you pray with me? Blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Please stand and profess what we believe in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. 
For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the God. He will come and gain in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life,